0: I'm sports attorney, Luke Fedlum, and welcome to the Protecting Your Possibilities podcast. Each conversation, we focus on sharing information and having conversations around how athletes can best educate and protect themselves for their life outside of their sports. Thank you so much for tuning in to Protecting Your Possibilities podcast. I'm your host, Luke Fedlum, and I am excited for the topic today. We are talking about cannabis. This conversation is part of a three-part series where we're really gonna dive into the regulation of the cannabis industry. And there's a lot that goes into that and we're gonna get into the particulars on how that's addressed. But I wanna really just take a step here to to share with you all why we're talking about cannabis, right, and so so many athletes that we work with on a regular basis are, are looking for new investment opportunities. They're looking at what's going on just in business and areas that they wanna get involved in. And over the past five to 10 years, the changes that we've seen occurring in the cannabis space from its legality perspective has caused a lot of athletes to want to start getting involved in cannabis. And athletes don't always understand these underlying issues that that face the industry. And so we wanted to bring in a couple experts to have a conversation around the regulation of the cannabis industry. So, I'm excited to welcome to the podcast today Frank Tice. Frank is a colleague of mine, he's an associate at Porter Wright. He has extensive experience in advising businesses in really the highly regulated commercial cannabis industry. So, Frank, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Luke. Happy Absolutely. To be
0: here. Absolutely. And then I'm also excited to welcome Jesse Wimberly and Jesse is the regional agent in charge of the Ohio Medical Marijuana Control Program for the State of Ohio Board of Pharmacy. Now, Jesse, welcome to the podcast. That was a mouthful. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Fantastic, so we can get right into the conversation. And I think the perfect place to start is because that title is so long, what exactly does that mean? So in a nutshell, Jesse, what is it that you do on a a daily basis?
2: So the easy answer is we are the Board of Pharmacy are responsible for patients, patient caregivers, and forms of, and methods of marijuana for the medical marijuana program. So with that comes regulatory issues, maybe some enforcement issues, but most importantly, the compliance. So the compliance side with the Board of Pharmacy in relation to the program is ensuring that dispensaries are doing everything right, that they're adhering to the rules, that all the rules that we have in place They could be criminal rules uh, associated with laws. And then there's Ohio Administrative Code, which is administrative codes that they're responsible for. So I have four agents throughout the entire state. Those four agents are responsible for up to right now. We have about 51 dispensaries open, close to uh, 60 that can be opened here soon. And with those 14 dispensaries, I should say amongst uh, the four of them now, they just go in and they just meet with the dispensary employees the staff we have what's called designated representatives at each dispensary and we work to make sure that they're in compliance with the rules
0: okay so if, if you could maybe share a little bit about what what does that look like so when when they come in when those agents come into a dispensary and they're meeting with the owners or whoever is working there at the time you know is there a checklist of things that they're looking for or are they just kind of you know getting a feel to see how things look is it you know, just so to maybe shed some light on the topic so that people understand, is it kind of like, you know, like when the health uh, department comes into a restaurant and they have a checklist of things they're looking for? What is that experience like?
2: So it's just that. So the analogy used with the health department. Uh, the difference is, you know, we are administrative and we are a law enforcement agency. A lot of people don't know that, that the Board of mm-hmm. Pharmacy is also a law enforcement agency. So each Agent on my team has a law enforcement background. I have a law enforcement background. So what we're looking for when we go inside, our goal is to be educational, not punitive. We want to walk in and educate the staff. We want to say that this is what you're doing correctly. Keep doing that phenomenal job. Here are some deficiencies. We need to work on those. And those deficiencies, you know, can be anywhere from walking in and let's talk about COVID today. We walk in mm-hmm. and they're not wearing their masks. You know, they're required to wear their mask. We do get complaints from the general public that may say, I walked into a dispensary and someone wasn't wearing their mask. So we would, you know, sometimes we just call and say, Hey, we got this call. Uh, You need to do that. Or if we show up and we see some deficiencies, we see that some camera systems may not be working properly because we want to ensure security. Those are the type of things we look for. So there is a checklist. We have a, a checklist. We walk in. Uh, The agents will go down that list maybe on one particular day. They may just pick a few items to look at. But for the most part, they want to meet and greet. They want to walk in, see how things are going. And with the ability to have only 14 dispensaries right now each for the uh, agents and being able to have, you know, contact more often, it it helps tremendously because the feedback, uh, they have no problem talking one-on-one with the agents. So uh, when I talk a lot, I talk about the dispensary, but there's also pharmacy, traditional pharmacy. I have to compare when you compare the two, because that's, you know, the board of pharmacy is responsible for any licensed entity Mm -hmm. that has prescription drugs. Marijuana is a prescription drug. We have to treat that the same It's a schedule two drug in the state of Ohio. So we want to make sure that drug is being dispensed properly. So that's the education piece. When I say education versus punitive, our goal is not to walk in and and play gotcha
0: and say hey you're not doing anything and here's a warning for not doing something but we get them on the right track excellent excellent so that's helpful because i didn't know that aspect and i think that that's important to understand and so education first got it but then if there is something that that's happening that's not legal uh you guys are also a law enforcement agency so you have the ability to handle that as well so as we take a step kind of back then and look at just broader regulations Frank I'd like to have you weigh in if you could why don't you share a little bit about how just regulations just work broadly you know I know that it's different at the federal and state level so maybe if you could share with our listeners what do we mean when we talk about just you know regulations and and the regulatory environment for the cannabis industry
1: Sure yeah so you know if we're taking a thousand foot view of kind of the regulatory framework in place in the United States for marijuana, you've hit the nail on the head with the federal versus state distinction. So federal law still treats marijuana as an illegal schedule one controlled substance, which is on par with drugs like heroin. So the federal government views marijuana negatively still to this day. And that's created complications for implementing a legal marijuana framework throughout the country, because with that federal overlay, states have been forced to take matters into their own hands and say, okay, well, we think marijuana should be legal, and so that really creates, you know, a bunch of disparate systems in the United States. So every state that's decided to pass marijuana regulations has different rules in place. Uh, that's where things can get really complicated, and you know, you really have to understand the differences and the nuances between different state programs. Now, generally speaking, there are some similarities that you know states use to help regulate marijuana, and I think. You know a couple of them are obvious right so marijuana even in states where it's lawful is heavily regulated Uh, there's a lot of rules procedures and policies in place that you know really make marijuana a heavily regulated industry the other um, feature that i think you see in a lot of states is that you know, we tend to regulate the same types of business segments. Now, some states will regulate more business segments than the fundamental three or four that I'll tell you about here in a minute, and different states might call them different things. But the bottom line is that a lot of these regulations focus on cultivation, which is, you know, the grow operation, Mm -hmm. processing, where you might take the raw plant material and put it into or convert it into different types of usable products like oils, tinctures, um, you know, edibles, things of that nature. And then you have dispensaries, which serve that retail function where the patient or the cardholder can access the marijuana. There's also testing labs in most states, which have that consumer protection function. They, you know, take the product and make sure it's safe for folks. And you really do see a lot of state regulations focus on those four business segments. So what's really interesting about having Jesse here is now when we turn to Ohio's program, Ohio's program regulates licensees and cultivation processing and dispensaries. The Board of Pharmacy, as Jesse noted, oversees the dispensaries, but the Department of Commerce is actually responsible for the cultivators and the processors. So we have different state agencies in Ohio responsible for those different business functions serving the marijuana industry. And Jesse's part is to really make sure that the dispensaries are staying in line with the Ohio State program. And you know that entails a lot of what Jesse's talked about. There's, so far, there's, there's less than 60 dispensaries. Ohio is a limited license state, meaning that there are caps on the number of licenses available in each type of business segment in marijuana. Some other states don't have limits or they have much higher limits than Ohio. And so that's where, you know, when we're taking this broad 1,000-foot view, what you have to understand is that every state is different. There are some similarities, but there are certainly a lot of complications as you go from one market to the next. And so it's really exciting, I think, to now zero in with that understanding on how is a program actually functioning. And that's why we're here with Jesse to talk about, you know, how Ohio's program is functioning.
0: Which is a great kind of segue, Jesse. I'll turn it over to you to get a sense of, how the regulatory environment is functioning here in Ohio, but keeping in mind as well that, you know, we have have listeners from all over the country and, and obviously states are all different as we've discussed, but I think it's important for folks to understand from a regulator's perspective, like what goes into it, right? How do you see the kind of regulations working, but also for you specifically, having been a part of putting these regulations into place, what are some of the things that you thought about when making this kind of regulatory environment now that you've seen it over the past, you know, what is it, four years or so, kind of what are your thoughts and what have you seen? Well, key is patient safety. So for Ohio, we have
2: to say we are a medicinal state. We are medical marijuana. So when you compare the state of Ohio with another state that's just recreational or both, our best practices have to be right now specific to patients. So we treat our program as if it is a medical related program, and I do have to emphasize to some people that, look, this isn't recreational. There are going to be a lot more restrictions because it's going to be somewhat comparable to the medical field. Right. So when you compare advertising and when you compare certain things with a Schedule II drug, which, as Frank said, that we have federal guidelines, Schedule One marijuana, and then we have to carry that over and still respect that and allow it to happen in our state, So it's best practices. The other thing is, and I promise I'd use this word, traditional pharmacy, a lot because in traditional pharmacy, we have the DEA, we have the FDA, we have other, you know, organizations and agencies that we could work with on prescription drugs. We don't have that with marijuana. So when you talk globally, when you talk throughout the country, our best practices are working with other states. I have worked with, you know, Alaska, uh, Illinois, Colorado, the states that kind of started before us. Mm-hmm. And we we garner information from them to say, hey, how is it working for you? Well, it's working for us right now. Uh, we're one of the first in this state, let's say, and this is what we wish we wouldn't have done. Okay, well, state of Ohio, let's try not to do that. Here's right. what we wish we would have done. Okay, state of Ohio, let's let's do that. So we had that advantage when we start talking about talking about regulations. We had that advantage to say, what did you do? when you were confronted with this request when starting your program. And I was fortunate enough to be not in the very beginning of this program in Ohio, but very, very soon into it. And and let me tell you, it was a daunting task because you are trying to create something from scratch. You are literally creating a program from thin air and and, and trying to take the best practices from other states that can hopefully match our program where it is specific to patients only you have to be a patient or a patient caregiver so when frank brought up you know the regulations in regard to how many dispensaries we have uh, you could talk to other states and they'll say we have more dispensaries than we do a starbucks and mcdonald's combined mm. where we only have we only have 60 because our intent is not to get medical marijuana out to the public, our intent is to get marijuana to patients who have a qualifying condition. So, you know, it's going to be limited right now until we see a growth. And right now we have over 147,000 patients. It's not 300, it's not 800,000. So we have to monitor that. And if there's a need, and we've been asked this, are we going to have more dispensaries? You know, obviously, at some point, that growth in patients, that growth in cultivators and processors, that growth will generate a need, and then we'll have to regulate around that as far as how many more dispensaries are necessary to meet the needs of the patients. So when you have regulatory issues through other states, it may be because they don't have a cap,
0: Mm. and
2: some places are opening dispensaries just to open a dispensary, and now you have to regulate more locations. And, you know, we're fortunate enough to we're only, like I said, very lucky to say that we have a limited number of dispensaries to ensure compliance, to ensure that they are meeting uh, the requirements of rules and laws. So there's an advantage to, you know, some, you know, saying there's more dispensaries to go to, uh, but there's also an advantage that if you're going to go to one of a, a dispensary in the state of Ohio, you're going to rest assured that it came from a compliance uh, regulatory location and compliance, So you're going to get that one-on-one opportunity at that dispensary. They know their patients, and you're going to be able to monitor better. So the regulatory is kind of the best practices is the best way I can say that we're learning to grow, no pun intended, (laughs) uh, this program in a way that is beneficial to the industry
0: itself. Excellent, excellent. Thank you. You know, the cannabis industry is ripe with puns, so we won't, we won't go down that path, but that that's really helpful, right? I mean, that's helpful conversation to understand kind of what goes into the thought process and putting patient safety first obviously makes great sense. And so to build a, you know, regulatory environment around that as the the central tenant, I think absolutely makes sense for overall community safety. So with that in mind, as the regulation, you know, structure here in Ohio, I guess more broadly, Frank, from your perspective, then, how are you advising clients uh, when it comes to regulatory compliance? Right. When you think about the various types of of business, you know, business owners, investors and others that want to get into this space, what are some of the key tips that you kind of go through when thinking about this compliance with regulations? Yeah.
1: So, you know, the. The biggest priority I would advise for any client is put together a stellar team. You really need a, a team that's, that has the, the will to stick it out and go through what is oftentimes a complex process. Um, so for in Ohio, uh, you know, there was an application process. It was a very detailed process that was difficult to comply with. You needed a stellar team around you to put together a competitive application and then hopefully get one of the licenses. So that's what happens early on in the state market, especially in a state like Ohio where the licenses are limited. You know, the the application window was the start, and then it's about being in compliance once your uh, provisional license is granted. So then, you know, your responsibility is how do we comply with laws, everything from real estate-related zoning restrictions and laws through to Ohio's various uh, administrative code provisions, and then even once you're up and running, you have a certificate of operation, uh, you're working with the regulators, you really do need to be cognizant of the various restrictions in place. There's basic questions that you get a lot. You know, What can I do about advertising? How does that work? There's various things that pop up and you're really just trying to make sure that you're working in compliance with Ohio's program because it's so strictly regulated for good reason. And also, I, I think I would advise teams beyond that is you need to work with the regulators in this space. I I think everyone's kind of learning together, especially in a novel industry like this. And, you know, if you're trying to hide the ball at every turn from the regulators, then I think that that's something that's going to not serve you well in the long run.
0: Excellent. Thank you for, for that perspective. And I think, you know, definitely listeners agree, you know, and obviously the team aspect and team dynamic is something that we preach regardless of the, the opportunity that they're they're seeking and the work that they're doing. So it's no different in this space other than, you know, the fact that it's it's a legal issue, right? And so having a strong team can help obviously keep you in compliance of the state law. So we're running low on time as, as it seems like we always do in these conversations. But I, I want to throw one last question out um, to you, Jesse, because I think it's important to know Obviously, COVID has changed a lot of things um, in, in all aspects of various industries. I, I'm just curious whether it's based on COVID or just based on the future. Kind of where do you see the regulations you know, here in Ohio? Where do you see them going uh, as you look to the future?
2: Well, uh, of course, when COVID hit, we had to make a lot of changes that were, in essence, not in rule or in some ways against a particular rule where the board had to say, yes, let's, let's issue a guidance so we can allow this for the safety of the patients and uh, the employees that are working at these dispensaries. So we allowed for the online ordering. That's not in rule, but we've allowed it because it gives a patient the opportunity to prepare their product for themselves, then have it prepared at the dispensary so they can pick it up and leave immediately. So that's something that, you know, that may be asked down the road, to implement and to rule, and it's, it's something that can't happen overnight. Obviously, curbside was one that was beneficial. The concern with that, of course, patient safety, and employee safety, you have product out uh, of the store. Some dispensaries uh, chose to do this. Some dispensaries chose not to do it. But again, allowing it to happen for this pandemic is something that was, was necessary. And, you know, I want, to say, I want to thank Frank, too. I think what he said is probably, you know, one of the things that we ask all the time, please do not do something at a dispensary and think that, you know, well, we'll just ask for forgiveness. Uh, this is a, you know, by permission type thing, always, because the rules and laws that are broken, you know, there's repercussions. So mm-hmm. you just can't ask for forgiveness because then you're going to have to deal with the repercussions. So when Frank says constantly Our agents have a phone number that can be utilized, and they reach them directly. And the DRs at the dispensaries, which is designated representatives, know this. So with COVID and some things that they would want to implement in a dispensary, it was good to know that, hey, we want to do this, what do you think? It doesn't sound like we can, and what we do is we work together to make it happen. And then, obviously, with anything that's a best practice that is working, then we have to make sure that we instill those best practices if we ever decide to uh, make any changes in rule and we always always allow for comments from the industry public comments are always appreciated before we do anything like
0: that so uh, that's what we are today outstanding well listen thank you both so much frank tice jesse wimberly thank you so much for sharing your comments your the context uh, of this space, because there there is obviously a lot of interest. I think we continue to see uh, laws change in various states and evolve, and I think we're going to continue to see that. And so, uh, for for athletes and those other clients who are listening to this podcast, it's it's important for them to understand kind of the thinking that goes into this regulatory environment. And if I could reiterate just a couple things that I've heard, it's you know making sure that you have a strong team around you. Is critically important. Obviously, making sure that you're operating in compliance and and really, you know, something that Jesse said I think just really hit home, which is just working with the regulators to work with them on the front end, right? The education aspect. I'm a big proponent of educating yourselves on, regardless of the uh, the business opportunity or industry that you're in, getting good solid understanding is critical for success. And I think you know, just this idea of working with the regulators is important. So whether you're someone who's investing in an opportunity or are involved directly in having a license, et cetera, it's key that you understand the regulatory environment and that you stay in compliance with it. So uh, Frank, Jesse, thank you guys so much for uh, for joining in. Really, uh, really thankful for your thoughts and your comments today. All right. So again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to Protecting Your Possibilities podcast. Uh, this has been a fun conversation on the regulation side. Who who oftentimes says that? A fun conversation on regulation. But it was a great conversation with uh, Jesse Wimberly, Frank Tice. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk again soon. Porter Wright, Morris and Arthur LLP offers this content for informational purposes only as a service for our clients and friends. The content of this publication is not intended as legal advice for any purpose and you should not consider it as such. It does not necessarily reflect the views of the firm as to any particular matter or those of its clients. Please consult an attorney for specific advice regarding your particular situation.